All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the Random Redshirt podcast with a new episode here this evening. Uh, this is part two of our look at Star Trek The Next Generation. I am your host, Zach, as always, and hosting with me is Chris. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Thanks so much, Zach. I am great. So great to be here talking about what we love to talk about. Um, yeah, this is it's fantastic. Thanks, everyone, for listening. How are you doing, Zach? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, took our took our kids on a, on a vacation uh, for a couple of days. So that was fun. Took some time off from work. Glad to be back and uh, glad to be back talking Trek with you on the podcast. Nice. And actually, I will say, Chris, on, on our on our vacation, I did wear our uh, one of our random red shirt podcast T-shirts around uh, for some free publicity amongst the crowds so hopefully some people saw it but uh yeah it's gonna be back talking trek and um you know in our our first uh part one of our look at star trek the next generation we, we talked a lot about you know the the beginnings of the show itself and 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 the cast uh as well as <clears throat> season one and two um <clears throat> excuse me and you know we talked a lot about how the show really wasn't super popular when it was first on because a lot of people had issues with the fact that it wasn't Kirk and Spock, right? Right. Uh, and it was a new cast and a new generation, hence the next generation. Um, but as, you know, and so as we move into part two of our look here at the next generation, we, we're looking at seasons three, four, and five. And so we look at seasons three, four, and five, we begin to see um, – the show really beginning to take off, I think. I mean, there were some really great episodes in season two, but I think season three is really where the show begins to hit its stride. And I think every show, regardless of uh, genre, I think has this where, you know, it hits a stride at some point where it starts really, you know, getting in a groove and getting really good. Um, some shows do that really early on. Some shows it takes a few seasons. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that uh, as a whole? I, I totally <coughs> agree that I think, like season three, season four, it hits its stride. It, it does greater. It gains so much more traction with the audience. Um, I think season three was when um, Rick Berman came on as producer, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I think that was around when he came on. You know, they, they brought season three, they, they brought back uh, Dr. Crusher, which I think was, uh, you know, really important. You know, the season two had dr uh pulaski and then they brought dr crusher back and and i learned a little bit about um when you know what uh, kind of you know why they had brought uh dr pulaski in season season two and then the decision to to bring back dr crusher but it it sounded like the writers in uh, in season two you know they they wanted to have this similar relationship between Dr. Pulaski and Data that Dr. McCoy and Spock had. They were searching for something to, to have that kind of relationship. So well, I don't I, I definitely don't think they were successful in that during season two, um, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, no, that, you, right. you could tell they tried, but it, it really felt like it was forced and it just really didn't seem to work, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they they brought Dr. Crusher back in season three because I felt like, you know, they, they, they uh, I don't remember what episode is where they first make the connection or where they first talk about it, but you know, 
uh, Picard and her and Dr. Crusher's deceased husband, Jack Crusher, I believe knew each other. They, they, they were either they were friends or colleagues or something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he knew Beverly Crusher, Dr. Crusher, through her husband, Jack Crusher. Yes. Uh, initially. And then, of course, she becomes the, the doctor on the ship and then she leaves and comes back. And I don't remember, remember the, the, the reason in, in real life that there was, I believe, another reason besides just wanting to have Pula- a Pulaski and Data connection as to why Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Crusher, went away for a season. She, she talked about it in uh, at conventions before when people have asked it. Um, and, and I've heard it a few times. I just off the top of my head don't remember. And this is one of many reasons why it sucks getting old. But <laughs> but uh, I, I did know that answer at one point. I don't. But there is a real world reason as to why I think she went away. Now, interesting story, Chris. Diane, I think it's Diane Mulder, yep. Muldar, who yep. played um, Dr. Pulaski. She was in the original series of Star Trek when she was, when she was younger because she was older. And it was weird, too, having this really, really old doctor. Well, not really, really old. I, sh- I shouldn't offend her by any means, but uh, uh, um, what you consider a much older doctor than than a lot of the other other crew. Um, I know, you know, Doctor McCoy was older, but I felt like he was kind of on the same lines of age with with Kirk and 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 so forth, and some of the other main characters. That Pulaski just and there's nothing against Diane Muldaur. I thought she played the char- character well. I just never felt like she really, really fit. The yeah. character really fit well in in that um, in that uh, uh, crew. Yeah. But um, so before we dive any deeper, though, Chris, you know, let, let's talk about some things that our audience needs to know uh, for this week. And you know, recording here on the twenty second of October. Now um, we took a, a two week break. We didn't record last week. We weren't able to get get uh, get together for that last uh, Friday. Um, but uh, it's been a couple of weeks, so we do have a few things that we, our audience needs to know. And, of course, there's so many things out there, right, that we could cover. But these are just a few a few things, right, that, that uh, we, we find interesting or fascinating that we think that those of you listening need to know. So, Chris, right. the first thing your audience needs to know for this week is – now, this was 10 days ago, but William Shatner became the oldest man in history to go into outer space on the Blue Origin. Now, I believe we talked about that in the last episode – but he did go up and he made it back, thankfully, in one piece, safe and sound. And he was at a loss for words. He was very emotional when he got off, uh, when he got out of the capsule and Jeff Bezos was there to meet him. And uh, I remember watching the video of it uh, live. Um, it was so spectacular. The technology we have now to go to watch people go up and spend just a matter of minutes in, in the lowest possible orbit in Earth or up in the, you know, in space you could get. Um and come back down, you know, in a matter of a 15 minute flight and then get off and talk about it and be weightless and all. It was really spectacular. Uh, he mentioned that he called the darkness in space. It's, it's like the death and looked down, looking down on the earth is blue orb and how precious life is. And that it's so amazing that this, what basically amounts to a thin layer of atmosphere is all that protects us from life and death. Um, and it, he said, he hoped that he never, never, got uh you know he never forgot the feeling of what it was like going up there and then he, he it, that it fundamentally changed him and that he hoped that he never recovers from that experience so i thought that was really really neat and interesting a guy who's been always been very good at communicating his whole life um especially as as an actor and communicating his thoughts and feelings to uh the audience and 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 fans and so forth i think it was a neat thing to see that sounds uh, beautiful 
Yeah. So if you get a chance to go, go Google it or YouTube it uh, and find the video and you'll see, you know, kind of his whole, his whole thing. He got very emotional uh, about the whole thing. And uh, it was, it was really, really fun, really fun, really neat to watch. And now we can all say Captain Kirk, AKA William Shatner has been to space. It was really great to see, uh, you know, William Shatner go to space. And of course, if you're a billionaire, you know, multi, multi, multi billionaire, like Bezos says, you have the money that you can just say, hey, Shatner, I'm paying for your $250,000 flight with my company to go up to space because I'm a huge nerd and I want to put Captain Kirk in space. <laughs> That's right. So you have that kind of you have that kind of money to throw away. I mean, hey, I guess why not, right? But uh, so that's the first thing our audience needs to know. Uh, our second thing, Chris, is um, highly anticipated uh, remake of the movie Dune came out today, October twenty second, two thousand twenty one. Uh, it's I think the movie's like three and a half hours. The first Dune movie was really long too. This movie looks spectacular. It's got a huge cast from Josh Brolin to you know Thanos we've got a crossover with DC getting Jason Moma on there from as a uh, Aquaman uh it's got uh, Oscar Isaacs in there from the new, the new Star Wars trilogy which I know you don't uh, even speak of these days right. uh, yeah. although I thought he w- I thought he he played Poe Dameron pretty well I like that actual character Poe Dameron um uh, a, a fair amount um it's and there's other actors in there too it's just it's got a huge huge uh, cast i think the cast is spectacular it looks really good so i'm excited to see it i'm gonna go see it at some point what about you wow i'm excited to see it too um i i'm a big dune fan i read the frank herbert dune books the the trilogy i haven't read uh there's some dune books that were uh, crafted by i think frank herbert's son or daughter so those are pretty interesting but i I haven't read them yet but i'm a big dune fan even the the first david lynch dune um really enjoyed that although that is a very very kind of different different movie i'm super excited to see this dune and um and what they've done with it yeah i don't yeah yeah go no go ahead oh yeah i the first dune movie has a has like this this odd kind of special place in my heart um and then and there were then there were some uh made for television dune science fiction movies made and i think the, the late 90s or early 2000s that I really enjoyed too. So, so yeah, I'll be completely honest with you and the audience. I, ha- I've never fully seen the original Dune movie. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've never read the books. So I don't know a lot about Dune. So what I'm hoping is, is to go into this, this new Dune movie, watch it. Um, it, it, it seems at times like it, it can be kind of a complicated story arc. And so I'm hoping I, I fully understand it and uh watch this and then be able to actually go back and watch the original dune for myself um you know I, i've never been a huge avid reader as far as like novels i mean i've read some obviously and things like that and some star trek novels and you know books back in the day when i was a kid growing up and stuff i used to was a huge uh reader of the goosebump series as a kid growing up in the early 90s and uh mm-hmm. late 80s and goosebumps came out i think didn't come out to the mid nineties, but by that point I was reading enough to, to where I read them and I had a whole bunch of them, but uh, I never read the Dune books. So I don't have a lot to go off of. So for me, I think that's kind of good in the sense I can kind of go into it fresh without any, any presuppositions or any type of, of uh, you know, uh, certain expectations and not be, not feel like I was let down. You know what I mean? No, totally no. So I think that's kind of good. Uh, but yeah, I, I am excited to go see it though. It does look really fantastic. I mean, cinematography, special effects look incredible um so that's cool okay chris what what's the third thing that our audience needs to know this week 
That's right. The third thing that I just learned today is from the Star from the Star Wars universe, Hayden Christensen, as I understand it, is going to be in the Ahsoka series, the Ahsoka series that should be on Disney Plus in the in the near future. Uh, so that's awesome. So so yeah, you've got Anakin and Ahsoka in the live action uh, Ahsoka series. So I think that's going to be incredible. You know, I was, I was thinking about. I was wondering. Okay, does that mean he's going to be in there as? Darth Vader, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Well, if it's if it's a, if the series, okay, so uh, that'll be curious. I, I wonder if, if he's going to be in flashbacks, maybe, because my understanding was the Ahsoka series is supposed to take place during the time period of Mandalorian, right? Where yeah. I'm assuming would be would be would lead up to Ahsoka meeting up with the Mandalorian and Grogu, or maybe, maybe it takes place after. Um, she meets Grogu in the Mandalorian. We don't really have a whole lot of information on it. So my thought would be that unless they're going to go back and it's going to be a series that t- of what happened in the Clone Wars in leading up to, um, you know, the, the, the uh, Mandalorian series, because that's the case, Darth Vader is dead. Right. In the Mandalorian time frame. So the only way that would work would be if he was in flashbacks maybe when they're battling together or training or whatever, I'm not really sure, but we don't have enough information to be able to say one way or another, what, how his role is going to be in that. The other question I have too, will, will they bring Katie Sackoff back in to play live action Bo-Katan in this? Cause Bo-Katan, she did the voice for the Bo-Katan, the animated clone Wars series. So will she be in this as well? I'm secretly hoping that, she, well, let me not secretly, but I'm very hoping that she does. Cause I thought she was a fantastic Bo-Katan both as the voice as well as the live action. I agree. I sure hope they bring back back her because that'd be great. That'd be great to have her in for sure because we need more of that character, definitely. Yeah, and I, I'm assuming she'll be in The Mandalorian some more because she was, you know, her and the other, uh, you know, uh, Mandalorians were um, in the, the the last episode of Mandalorian season two, so... I don't see why she wouldn't be, but maybe who knows? We, we just don't know. We don't have enough information, right? But next right. month, and this will be a need to know when, when the actual release date comes up too, but the next month, you know, we're supposed to be getting the book of Boba Fett. Oh, no, not next month. month. I'm sorry, December. December, okay. I think it is. No, but yeah, maybe it's December. In the next couple of months, we're supposed to be getting the book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so that should be fantastic as well. Um, not to sidetrack the, the initial thing we were talking about, but. Yeah, that'll be incredible, though. So, yeah, that is interesting. I, I'm excited to uh, – I think IGN was the one that broke that news. So that should be pretty cool to see that uh, for sure. Okay, Chris, what's the fourth thing our audience needs to know this week? Fourth thing we need to know. And I, th- I think this is the most recent that I know of, and um, I think you helped uh, bring this to my awareness, is that the new – the Batman trailer released this week. And uh, you, you watched it. I, I watched it. Um, and so this will be really interesting when the, when the Batman movie comes out, um, uh, like, you know, I, I love, um, like both, both you and I love the Michael Keaton Batman. I love the dark Knight trilogy. Um, I am so skeptical about the new, uh, the Batman, very, very, very skeptical. Just thinking we'll see. I think you, you know, you mentioned, yeah, you, you asked what I think, does it have potential? And I don't know. I don't know. We'll see when it comes out. I think it'll be a great discussion um, uh, when we both see it. 
and we can we can talk about our reactions. I'll say the trailer I think was well made. I think the trailer was well made, but um, you know, I don't, but for right now, he's just he's not. I'm not feeling him as my Batman for the moment. So well, yeah, I I mean I would agree with you. They're not my Batman. My, my Batman's Michael Keaton. Yeah, it's always going to be my Batman. Michael Keaton is Batman, um, and that's no offense to to Christian Bale. I thought he was a great Batman, albeit with laryngitis. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I I don't think, Chris, that he can be worse than George Clooney or Ben Mm. Affleck, for that matter. Honestly, Um, I Mm. just I I don't see it. Val Kilmer wasn't the best Batman, but he wasn't the worst. Uh, I just I can't see him being worse than Clooney. Clooney's a great actor, but he's not Batman. So the trailer I saw, it looks very, very dark and gritty. Mm -hmm. Um even darker than the Dark Knight series um, and grittier than the Dark Knight series. It's a very much has like a, uh, I, I, there, there's a term for it. I can't think about the top of my head, but it has a, a very unique feel to it. I think it does look like it has potential. I, I'm probably going to go see it because Batman's my favorite, you know, comic book character. Yeah. I'm not calling him a superhero because he doesn't have superpowers, right? Uh, but I... I will go see it because I think that in the trailer, some of the scenes I saw, it looked like it has potential of him. In he he looked, he, I thought he looked great in the Batman suit. Honestly, I really did. I thought they did a good job designing the suit and and so forth. I think the trailer looked like it showed a lot of potential. Um, it looks like the Riddlers are going to be in it. Yeah, as I'm assuming the main villain. Uh, but you know who knows? We'll see. We'll see how they play it off after have after having the uh, Dark Knight series. And, and where it's going to fall in the Batman timeline. So it should, it should be really interesting for yeah. sure. Yep. So, okay, Chris, so that's, we, we talked about our, our things that our audience needs to know this week. Let, let's jump back into season three. So season three of the next generation brought uh, a fair amount of changes, right? You mentioned one of them, right? We, lo- we, we, we lose Dr. Pulaski when they bring back Dr. Crusher. Right. Um, I think it was the right answer because I think Dr. Crusher, uh, is really an integral part of that crew, not just because she's a chief medical officer, but her character, um, her her relationship uh, amongst the crew with uh, being friends with, with such good friends with Troy and her relationship with Picard as that develops. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think she's she's an important part of that crew. Um, and I'm glad they brought her back. Yeah, but I, I, I agree totally with you, like her relationship with the, with the crew and her relationship with the Picard. And then, um, you know, later on in the seasons, I think beyond season five, you know, they, they explore kind of uh, how the depth of the feeling between Picard and, and Dr. Crusher. And so, you know, that was, that's, I think a pretty awesome part of, of the show. Um, And she, uh, I thought she had this great kind of gentleness um, as as a doctor um, in it too, so very very much complemented the rest of the ensemble cast. Yeah, you know Crusher and Pulaski, and obviously rightfully so, because as writers you wouldn't want to make the character this you know similar. Very very different ends of the spectrum. You know Pulaski was very forthright, very like this is going to happen. I'm the doctor, like you know, very forceful kind of a hand. Maybe a little yeah. bit less bedside maybe a little bit of bedside manner similar to the emh doctor from voyager um you know she seemed kind of crotchety and grouchy at times and and i know that was you know probably the writing and everything like that and again i'm not knocking the actress the diana 
Diane Moldar is a fantastic actress. Um, you're right. Dr. Crusher was a little bit more uh, softer bedside manner in some regards. I mean, she, she, she forced, she was forceful when she needed to be, but she was a little bit um, on a different side than the way they had Pulaski portrayed. Um, yeah. But season three brought us, you know, changes too, right? I mean, one of the biggest things you notice when they start season three is they go from the, 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 the one piece onesie uniform with like the, the V lines on the shoulders to the two piece um, zipper in the back TNG uh, um, Federation yeah. uniforms that have become maybe, maybe besides the monster maroon, maybe the most popular, but you could argue maybe the most popular uniform. Yeah. Um, I mean, when we were at the convention, Chris, you probably saw a lot of examples, some good and some bad of replicas of that two piece design uh, from the next generation. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> and that all starts in season three. Um, you know, a lot, the, a lot of the cast members talk about the first couple seasons and how terrible and awful those uniforms were and those costumes were. And that they were, they, and that people actually had back pain and back problems because that, that they were so obsessed with all the uniforms looking crisp and no wrinkles and straight and everything that the uniforms are so tight and so form fitting and so, um, uh, rigid that, you know, they could barely move in them and that it would actually cause a lot of pull on their, on their uh, body and they would have a lot of back pain because of it. Holy smokes. I didn't know that. Yeah. So oh. the cast was really, was the cast was really adamant. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have because none of the TNG cast showed up for the convention. So no one could <laughs> tell them the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, they've told the, several of the actors have told that at conventions and that they said that, that they needed to be a costume change. And so, Robert Blackman was the, the costume designer. I guess he went back and redesigned what we, what you got was a two piece Federation style. And you still saw the early season TNG costumes in, in, in uh, later se you know, season three and four stuff as like background characters, you know, people, people who didn't have names and were just in the background somewhere. Cause it, you know, they recycled all that stuff kind of thing. But um, yeah. yeah, that was a change. And so we talked about how season three really takes off really takes makes the show take off and get its you know get its uh, uh it's it's um you know whatever that word that's is right uh, it's stride and, and yeah it hits a stride that you go hits yeah. a stride and uh you know like i said there were a lot of great episodes in season two we mentioned in the last uh episode of our podcast elementary your data measure of a man which we talked about i thought was one of the best episodes in all of star trek just because of 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 the uh, the concepts and ideas that they were talking about and addressing. Um, Q who, which we, we get our first introduction to the Borg in season yes. two. Um, uh, you know, the Royale, which we both really liked is kind of like a whimsical episode. Um, but then we get into season three and there are some absolutely critical episodes to the development of Picard, the enterprise and its crew and then future, um star trek episodes and future star trek shows yes. based on what happens in some of these episodes so uh before we get to a couple of those though you know one of the one of the episodes that I, I really like in season three and there's so many obviously we could talk about every episode going forward in next generation both good and bad i really like this episode called the booby trap <laughs> um I, I don't know if you remember it chris the booby trap basically is the enterprise comes across this uh ship they're like in an asteroid field floating in this asteroid field and they 
come to find out it's this thousand year old like alien derelict ship that's well known by Picard because he's kind of a he's, he's an archaeologist historian at heart and they never thought that they would come across something like this and they get and what happens is the reason why this ship is stuck there is it gets caught in this like booby trapped energy field and it is never able to get free and they beam over to the ship and people are on their dead and everything like that well the enterprise gets caught in the same energy field and they have to figure out how to get out of it and it's basically this large booby trap like the name so it's kind of a neat fun little episode um you know with the enterprise getting in trouble and having to find fight its way out and everything um but yeah it's, yes. it's I, I like that one i i, I real you know for whatever reason i just i've always i've always enjoyed that episode um it's it has one of those like you know murder mystery type feel episodes and i've, I've always been big into like the murder mystery and Sherlock Holmes and the, the movie Clue and you know those types of things. So is is that the one where Jordy um Jordy is an instrumental part of it where he has to uh he's trying to figure out the way he's trying to figure out how to get the enterprise out of that situation and he goes into the holodeck and and uh does some engine simulations or some sort of simu- simulation and and talks with uh one of the designers of the uh yes that is yes with dr brams yep that, that oh, is that episode. yeah yep. yep that's the first time you see her that's the first because i believe we meet her in another episode that's right the real that's... version in another episode yeah the real version in another episode okay so that yeah and he starts to get he starts yeah because he, start, he starts to like get a crush on the on the holographic program of her yeah yeah yep that and it's it's, it's a good episode i like i said it has kind of that you know that mystery you know aura type type episode Nice. Um, then, you know, uh, we get, um, a absolutely incredible episode in season three and, and you can talk more of this too, Chris. Um, this episode to me, well, I shouldn't say to me, this episode is actually one of the, probably one of the most popular episodes in all of Star Trek, let alone next generation. It's, it's definitely consistently listed in people's top five, top 10 favorite episodes of next generation and even some people's top five top ten of all star trek shows episodes and that is the episode yesterday's enterprise yes um for the first time ever we get a look at an ambassador class i believe this is the first time we ever see it an ambassador class ship the uss enterprise c the first time we ever hear about the enterprise d's one of the predecessors to the enterprise d we don't know much about the enterprise we don't ever hear about the Enterprise B until the movie Generations. We never hear about Enterprise the Enterprise C until this episode, and it involves a specific, bringing back a specific character in a different way. So, what did you like about yesterday yesterday's Enterprise as a whole? Man, I loved everything about it. I I saw it not too long ago again, and this is to me it's pretty much like a perfect like a perfect episode. You know, it it brings back. Tasha, Tasha Yar, and she's in it. She's got a huge part in it and a huge meaningful part in it. And then there's just a, a much, much, much better send off for Tasha. Um, and, and so, you know, the Enter- Enterprise, they, they get another, I think, a temporal rift or a time anomaly um, where they meet the Enterprise D meets the Enterprise C. And you learn that the Enterprise C is just coming uh, out of a battle with the uh the klingons Kling- no romulans 
Maybe it's the the Klingons. And no, no, I think you were right. I think it's the Klingons. Yeah, they're they're in a battle with the Klingons at, at this this very important battle in Federation history. Yeah, and um, so that so that that was r- really interesting. And then this temporal rift rift causes this di- causes a different timeline. And this different timeline, you have Picard and the crew and the Enterprise D at war with the Klingons now. So they're at war, and you learn that they're they're losing on they're losing the war with the Klingons and that the, the war is going very badly. So wow, what what a good episode. So you, you meet the captain of the Enterprise C, and so uh, Picard and that captain, Captain Garrett, I believe his surname is, they, they connect. Um, and and you have Guinan in the episode as well. Um, meeting with Picard and Guinan's got, you know, her sense and she's like, this isn't right. Picard shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't be at war. Tasha shouldn't be here. Things are wrong. We got to set things back like they were. So you've got these very uh, kind of uh, interesting moments with Picard and Guinan. Um, and then Picard kind of realizing, hey, if I ask the Enterprise C crew to go back, I'm asking them to go back, you know, to their doom. And he does. He asked, he asked them to go back to set things right and it's it's kind of a uh i was thinking well how's captain garrett the enterprise c captain gonna react and you know they the crew of the enterprise c wanted to go back they wanted to continue the fight and she has them go back so i was like that uh, that was pretty honorable and admirable thing admirable thing for them to do yeah i i was you were right chris actually so there there's a they 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 respond to a distress signal from the Klingon outpost on Narenda three, and they're ambushed by four Romulan warbirds. So uh, you were you were right for sure. Okay. Uh, and I believe in the episode because it's been a little while since I've watched the episode. I believe before they go back, doesn't Rachel Garrett, the captain of the Enterprise, doesn't she die? And then um, the lieutenant, who's played by the actor who plays Shooter McGavin and Happy Gilmore, yeah, uh, doesn't yeah. he have to kind of take over? And then Tasha goes back with him. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's what I'm happened. pretty sure she died. Uh, Castillo is the actor's name, the character yeah, name. Yeah. But doesn't she die uh, before they go back or something? And then he has to kind of lead the charge back in. Yep, she does. And then Tasha requests, "Hey, can I go back and help?" Yeah, yeah because because come to find out, Guinan comes to him and says, "This isn't right. Tasha's not supposed to be here. This is whole this whole timeline's wrong." Guinan's the one I believe that tells Picard, "Hey, something ain't right here. We're not supposed to be in this war and everything." Right. Yeah, and. Oh, another kind of a subtle thing in the in this episode that I that I noticed when I watched in the alternate timeline where they're at war with the Klingons, the relationship between um, Picard and Riker is kind of different. So Picard is like kind of hard on Riker, you know? Um, yeah, he's more warlike in this. Yeah. And I think it's because of the war that they're involved in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, well, that was. That's pretty interesting. And then when they go back to the regular timeline, you know, he's, he's much more gentler um, and personable with Riker. But when he was in the alternate timeline and at war, he's very abrupt, very like uh, abrupt with Riker. And so you could kind of see Riker's uh, reaction when Picard was like that. So it was kind of a neat thing to see. Yeah. Now, did you notice, I don't know if you noticed or not, in the alternate timeline compared to the current timeline, the alternate timeline on the Starfleet uniforms, the collar is different. I did. 
Yes. Okay, you notice that. Yeah, the collar is all the same all the way around versus in the regular timeline, it dips down a little bit in the front and everything. So, okay, folks, if you're listening, this is a level of nerddom you're getting on the Random Red Shirt podcast. Well, we're talking about the collars on their uniforms and the different timelines, but yeah. it is different. The, the, the bridge is different. Like, there are differences in this timeline based on the fact they've been at this war. Yeah, I think they had sidearms on their uniform, too. I think all the, the crew had a phaser sidearm with them. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely were in a war state. You could tell. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yes. His enterprise is great. Um, yeah. You get to see Tosh again. I, I think you're right. I think it's a great send off that we talked about this during, during the last episode in season one and two about how the way they killed Tosh, I just felt like it was just, it was terrible. Yeah. She got killed. She gets killed by this like oily goo monster that comes out and just so randomly and just, oh, oh, all the, she gets killed, and then all of a sudden, oh, Tasha's dead. And they're all like, oh, okay, well, now we got to fire out a way to get out of here. And that's it. You know, it really sucks that, that Tasha died the way she did. But yeah, I'm glad that they, they did bring her. And they actually bring her back again in another episode where they bring the actress back to play a Romulan who's supposed to be like this clone of Tasha. Right. We'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Um, Another episode I really liked in season three is an episode called Sins of the Father. Now, this is where Worf has to go back to Kronos because his dead father has been accused of treason. And which is, of course, is, I mean, that's almost like you're not going to Stovacor, which is the Klingon's equivalent of heaven. Right. Uh, if you are dishonorable, right? And, and, you know, it affects your afterlife and this, that. And the other. And so obviously committing treason would be incredibly dishonorable, not only for his, um, you know, Moog, uh, which is, which was Worf's bro- uh, father, but also it would bring upon Shane upon the house of for Worf in you know, the house of Moog for, for Worf and his brother Kern. And so what I really like about it is you really get to learn a lot about Worf, his family. You learn a lot, a lot about Klingon politics. And this is stuff that they had to come up with because in the original series, you know, you didn't know a ton about Klingons, right? They were just guys who were painted brown running around with goatees. Right. And, you know, you, they, they get into battles every once in a while with, with the Federation. You might, you know, they, on Space Station K-7 and the Tribbles, that classic Trouble with Tribbles episode. But you didn't know a lot about the backstory of the Klingons and their society and their culture and their politics. And this is one of many glimpses during TNG into the hierarchy and the politics and the, the importance of family and honor and stuff in the Klingon um, uh, in the Klingon culture. So I thought that was a really important episode for Worf and learning about him and learning about the culture and all that kind of stuff. Damn. So I put that down. Um, any, any other episodes in season three that really stand out to you, Chris? You know, the, there's the, the groundbreaking kind of episode. Oh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's pretty groundbreaking. Like, yeah, it's, it's significant. It's, yeah. it's top two all time for TNG for top sure. Two all time. Yeah. Just maybe even, well, I won't say number one, cause we'll get into that in, in season four, but yeah, definitely in the top two. Yeah. Huge, impactful. Right. I haven't seen this recently, but I, rem- I remember um, my reaction like when I did see it and it was like because it ends on a cliffhanger. So we're and we're talking about best of both worlds and the cliffhanger at the end of season three 
where now we do battle with the Borg. And, and I remember it vivid, vividly watching that and P Picard, you know, being kidnapped and that kind of the last moment of the finale of season three. And we see Picard as Locutus and boy, I remember that visibly vividly. And I was like, Holy smokes. And then the season ends and I've got to wait now, like, like all these months for the new season to come out. Um, and so I was just, you know, really anxious, of course, uh, waiting to see what, what happened. Um, but wow, that, that just, just awesome. Groundbreaking yeah. and just impactful. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, kids these days or these young whippersnappers these days, you know, <laughs> they don't understand how hard it is in the days of binge culture and everything else, how hard it is to have to wait, you know, four or five, six, seven months on a cliffhanger and not, and have to wait for the next episode in this next season to premiere. Yeah. Um, that was, that's, that was a hard episode to have sit around and go, wait a second, Captain Picard's a board now. What, what, what? Like, it that was a that I would say in all the Star Trek shows that has to be the biggest cliffhanger in any of the series. Yeah, and I don't even think it's close. I so, think you're right. Yeah, that Best of Both Worlds Part One was significant um, because that affects not only Picard but it affects the way in which the Federation responds and who responds and how they respond in future episodes with the Borg. They learn, you know, uh, the Borg learn about the Federation more and their secrets through Picard. Picard learns about them. You learn, he learns more about how the collective works as a whole. And then it also affects an entire movie in Star Trek First Contact. Yeah. It, <laughs> it has a huge role. And oh, by the way, Captain Picard being Locutus He's like the reason why Captain Sisko's wife Jennifer is killed at Wolf 359, which yeah. is discussed in the pilot episode of Star Trek D Space Nine. So it has massive ramifications down the line for other Star Trek series and episodes. Yes. It's a really significant episode in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, so it, it, it's definitely a cliffhanger of a way to end season three. And with that, we're going to do a mini cliffhanger here. We're going to take a break, get a, get a message from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. When we come back, we're going to jump into season four and season five. And I have a feeling, Chris, we're going to have a lot of episodes to talk about nice. in these next two seasons because there's a lot of good ones coming up. So let's take a break from our sponsor real quick, Chris. We'll come right back and we'll be discussing season four and season five of Star Trek The Next Generation right here on the Random Red Shirt Podcast. Excellent here on the Random Richard podcast and we're jumping into season four and five of Star Trek the next generation we just discussed season three and some of the changes that we saw coming from season two uh I'm telling you Chris uh season four and five are so packed I mean we could talk about every single episode practically in season four and five it, so many of them are so good there are a few duds but for the most part there's so many great episodes um Let's just jump into this season four. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we talk about the cliffhanger that 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 ends season three and the bombshell that happens as Picard is is made into Locutus. Um, you know, that was some serious gall to have a captain transform the way they did, the way he was. I mean, you don't see a transformation 
to a to a main to a leading character like that uh, like a captain in star trek ever again maybe other than um cisco but that's that's at, as the show ends yeah versus you know right in the middle of its running and and you know uh Next Generation, they got a seven-year contract, basically. It wasn't like the original series where it was a season at a time. They got seven years, so they knew they had a way to, ways to go. So, obviously, they could they could mess around with some stuff like this. But, yeah, it was that was a really, really uh, a gutsy to do something like that. And then they come back at the beginning of Season 4, and he's still the cutest. And, of course, you know, for those of us who have watched it, obviously, we know – you know, they rescue him and they're able to reintegrate him and, and get him out from being a Borg and everything through through work from uh, Data and Jordy to get him uh, uh, removed from the collective and, and uh, de-Borgified, if that's even a thing. Um, <laughs> so that's a great way to start season four. Uh, what episodes to you, Chris, uh, in season four really stood out that you really enjoyed? Yeah, you know, as I, as I think about it, and as they, you know, you said de-Borg him, um, they go because the, that's not the official Trekkie term, by the way. That's just I just I just use that term for lack of better words. Deborg. We could create we could create like an official Trekkie term. We could coin that term D Borg. I don't know. I, I'm afraid I'd start like a Trekkie civil war or something. I don't know if I want to do that. So. <laughs> um, the episode right after uh, the season one, or excuse me, of uh, episode two in season four. So right right after the. Um, the second part of best of both worlds you know, we learn a lot more about Picard, right he's he's got to go home to france kind of collect himself uh he meets his brother i think that's the first time we meet his brother it is yeah his brother his uh, nephew yeah his brother's wife and chateau picard which chateau. shows up later on in star trek picard yeah and in this so that episode two of season four, it's a very personal feeling episode. Um, and I, you know, now that I think about it, I, I really like it. You know, he's, he's you're contemplating life. I mean, he's, it's such a hard thing for him, you know, to get over, obviously. Um, and, um, you know, Patrick Stewart does a great job, great, you know, great job acting in the entire episode. And, you know, the relationship between him and his brother and his brother, you know, him understanding that, wow, his, his brother was jealous of him all of these years. He's got to come to terms with that. So he comes out of this, out of this kind of this vast, vast conflict involving, you know, tens of thousands of um, Federation personnel of, of Borg. And then you bring it down to this very personal thing. So it comes in all this vast, vast conflict down to, oh, now it's personal. It's all about me and my family again. And now he's got to collect himself. And in a way, he's got to find himself again because he's trying to think, can I go back out there and be captain again? Right? He's, he's going to kind of discover that and see, is it still in me? Or am yeah, I, I, think, a... I think you see yeah. um, Star Trek dealing, and I'm trying to think, other episodes that may have dealt with this there's probably it's probably something in the original series that does that i that my mind my memories escaping me because i'm old unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> but um this is one of the first episodes that i can remember that you see 
a character dealing with what you would consider as a major or massive amount of PTSD. Yeah. Right. In some, in some ways, Picard probably has that because he's, you know, he's had to have been debriefed and everything. And he understands that he helped lead the Borg attack at Wolf 359, which becomes an infamous battle uh, in Federation history. Uh, and the significant amount of uh, loss of life that happens to the Federation uh, uh, personnel at that battle. And because Picard has knowledge of the Federation, he's he, the collective uses that against the Federation to destroy tons of ships and kill so many people. Of course, we later find out again, Cisco hates Picard because he was Locutus and he blames him for his wife's death. Jennifer's for his death, yeah. her death. And, and this, they were at Battle of Wolf 359. Um, and so there's a lot of debt. And so like we, we, we continue to see the ramifications and the effects of, of, of Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2 uh, ripple through time and ripple through the other Star Trek shows. Yeah, yeah. Because they bring that out. You're right, that the PTSD of Picard, right? That comes out like multiple times. It comes out definitely in uh, Star Trek First Contact, the movie, you know, that for sure comes out um, very well. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. Um, and, and you see it in Star Trek generations a little bit too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, definitely in first contact when they get, when they, uh, he starts having the, the dreams of the Borg and everything, and then they get in contact with him and you, you can see that it, it's affecting him. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. I believe also Chris in that episode, uh, and I think the episode you're talking about is family, this one with Picard going home uh, to, to France. Um, I believe we also get a visit from Worf's foster parents on board the Enterprise. Oh. So you, yeah, so you get to meet Worf's parent, foster parents, <laughs> which I think is cool. Um, you know, he doesn't have that great of a relationship with him later in life. As you can imagine, two human parents raising a, a Klingon child will be difficult. Yes. And I, I like the the funny interaction between I, I kind of looked it up here on on Memory Alpha, which is the like kind of like the official Star Trek Wikipedia Wikipedia page, uh, and the line on here where where Riker approaches Worf in the observation lounge and, and about his family he says, "Hey, by the way, I'm looking forward to meeting your parents." And Worf goes, "Sir," he's like, "They're on the visitor list. You didn't know?" <laughs> it's like Worf's like, "Uh, what?" <laughs> So, uh, and then later on, of course, he sends his son Alexander away to go live with his, his, his foster parents, um, because he's not able to, to really take care of Alexander the way he needs on the enterprise. But, right. um, it's, it's a good episode. I, I like that you brought that up. Cause I, I do think we get to learn a lot about Worf and a lot about Picard and you learn about some of the different families and that, and that development of the characters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, what what other episodes from season four that that uh, did you like or that stood out to you? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, one is uh, one is another. Well, actually, both. They're both kind of Picard centric episode episodes. One that I I, I really like. It's it's just fun. It's whimsical. Um, is Cupid, Cupid, and that's the one where you remember where Picard gets to play as Robin Hood. So they, uh, Q does something, and they're all he he has them in this fantasy world, fantasy reality world, where um, they're they're all in the Robin Hood world, and you meet Vosh. So um, meet her again, Picard's romantic interest that yep. he had in in yep. some earlier seasons, and it's funny. It is so funny because uh, 
members of the crew meet Vosh and Vosh is asking, hey, did the captain ever mention me? And and they're like, no, he never mentioned you. And so so that becomes like a running joke throughout the episode. The yeah, captain... because the first time that he meets uh, yeah. uh, Vash is when he's on shore leave on that planet right in the Ferengi or there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, and it's a running joke. The captain is a very private man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and yeah, thought, it, you're right, Chris. It's definitely a, a, a whimsical episode. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. And I, th- now, I thought it was fun when um, Dr. Crusher runs into Vosh in their exchange. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, the, the episode's got some, some great lines in it. You see you see uh, Data as Friar Tux has got a bald head, yes. which is hilarious on an android. Uh, one of the greatest lines in Star Trek history is 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 put in that from that episode, Chris uh, Cupid. And in fact, I believe it's been made into memes. It's made into gifs, G- GIF, um, and uh, it's been quoted numerous times. And it's an episode, you know, because because uh, uh, Worf is representing uh, Little John, right, oh. in the, in the story, and he goes, "I must protest. I am not a married man." Oh my gosh. That line, every time Worf says it, it's hysterical. That that's right. It that is so hysterical. Funny. I I must protest. I am not a merry man. You know. He's, yeah. That, he's in that, like red tights or something. Yeah. It's it's hysterical. He he yeah playing that role of little John. It, it was well done for sure, and uh, certainly up there for me as as one of those good episodes. Nice, nice. Love these whimsical episodes. And it is a Q episode too. Yeah, I love Q. Yes, and. Yeah, the, the, the question with Q, Chris, is, and we'll, we'll have to get into this in a later episode, mm-hmm. is, is Q the greatest villain in Star Trek history, or is he even actually a villain? I don't know. That's a question for another episode. It is a question for another episode. I, 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 I have my, my opinion already. Yeah, yeah, I bet you do. I bet yeah. you do. <laughs> But we can keep it for another episode. Yeah, yeah. What else? What what other episodes that uh, that uh, um, you know you enjoy? Yeah, I watched this recently. It's another Picard centric episode. It's called The Drumhead, um, and it's about uh, so there's there's an accident on the Enterprise on on the warp core, and they send um, an investigator, and they think that there is a potential for a saboteur on the enterprise and they think there's a potential for a conspiracy. So they bring an admiral, Starfleet brings an admiral out of retirement. Her name is Admiral Sati and they bring her to the enterprise to start the investigation and which she does. And, you know, they, they, they discover um, some, uh, a bad, a bad uh, Klingon uh, that was trading Federation secrets. And uh, so they deal with, they deal with that. They discover that the what they thought was a sabotage on the warp core was actually an accident. Um, but throughout this whole process, they they're they're trying to get witnesses, and they're they really think they're trying to get to a saboteur. So they end up identifying someone who who really turns out to be innocent in terms of being a saboteur, and they accuse him of being a saboteur. Um, and he's, uh, you know, by descent, his, he's partially Romulan. You know, he, his grandfather was, his paternal grandfather was, was Romulan. And he's trying to, he tried to hide that for all his years in the Federation. Um, and he hid that on his, his Federation application. And so 
Picard, Picard is deeply disturbed by what Admiral Satie is doing and how she goes about uh, trying to um, uh, trying to to catch and and um, and punish this this young man. And Picard, it's is really interesting because he sticks to his he sticks to his principles, and he says, you know, Satie, this this whole thing has to stop. You know, this has to stop. And he's he's innocent and prove, until proven otherwise. So. So then Admiral Satie, you know, kind of flips it and then puts the admiral into this, excuse me, puts the captain into this questioning situation. So this cap, the captain gets cross-examined and she's attacking the captain. He's at, she's attacking his loyalty. Um, you know, she brings up that he was Locutus um, and she's attacking, attacking him. And Picard, he just keeps sticking to his principles and keeps sticking to his morals. Um, and at the end, he has this nice, eloquent speech in Admiral Satie. Um, she kind of loses it there, and you kind of realize that she's she's very much off off kilter, and you know all all of her trials kind of go by the wayside because they the, the Starfleet realizes okay she's she's not doing a good job with this, and it's all kind of meaningless. But I I like it because they explore the idea of um you know being innocent until proven otherwise and how easy it is to to kind of go on witch hunts um when you know things point a certain direction and how easy it is for all of that momentum to keep to keep going and going and going and how hard it is to stop it and I thought it was was pretty pretty beautiful episode for for Picard because you see him always upholding his principles and sticking to it and being a very very thoughtful uh, captain. So, yeah, that that is a really good one. Um, I, I you know I, not that I'd forgotten it, but I I didn't really consider that one. Uh, and now that you mention it, yeah, it is really good. It, it shows a side of Picard that shows he he has certain principles uh founded in in federation in the federation um charter and that he says hey look like here's the line i'm not willing to cross yeah right and you see that too in the episode of measure of man where we talked about during uh season two with data yes um so picard is a very um strong-willed captain in the sense that he believes, I mean, you know, he knows what's right and wrong and he's going to, to stick to that, yeah. uh, you know, or die trying basically. Yeah. So definitely a good one. Um, for sure. You know, there, there, there's a couple, I think of Chris in season four, I think of uh, the episode brothers where we get a chance to see lore and Dr. Soong and, and, and data gets a chance to meet his creator, oh. um, before his creators killed, unfortunately. Um, and then you see lore and all his antics, which of course that come, you know, appears later on in the show. Um, good episode there, learning about where data came from and so forth. Um, my all time favorite episode of the next generation. It's not listed usually in anybody's top five or top 10. For me, it goes back to that murder mystery type feel to it. And that's the episode clues. And it's basically an episode where the, 
the Enterprise comes across this uh, super, super extreme xenophobic alien race. The alien race doesn't want anybody to know they exist, so they wipe the Enterprise's um, memory. They wake up, and they think they've been out for a matter of a few seconds or a few minutes. Come to find out they, they, there is a whole day that's missing, and all these clues start adding up to realize that they, that they weren't only out for a matter of minutes, but they were out for, you know, a, uh, uh, their whole memory for a whole day has been erased, and Data is the only one that knows, and he's been sworn to secrecy, and these twists and turns and everything. It's just a really well-put-together, well-written episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I remember that now. Yeah. That really, really neat. Yeah. Ever since the first time I saw that episode, I gravitated to it. And I, I have a hard time finding many episodes that I would put above that, if any. It's probably my favorite TNG episode. I know it's kind of one of those out there episodes as far it's not one of the traditional oh, best of both worlds. Yesterday's Enterprise, mm-hmm. the ones that everybody talks about. But for me, I just I, I really, really enjoy that episode a lot. Um, in it. season four, there was also an episode called First Contact. Now, this is great because Riker disguises himself as one of these aliens, beams down to kind of learn about the culture. And in the process, they begin to believe he's not actually one of them through a series of clues from, you know, biological clues that they discover. And he's trying to get out of this medical facility without being detected and eventually Picard and Troy beam down and have to break the news to the, the one of the head government guys that, Hey, we're actually from the Federation. We, we didn't want to establish first contact right away. Cause you're not a warp fairy society. And uh, it, it's, it's a good episode that shows the line that they walk between making first contact and make not making first contact and how that can affect the society. And, it goes back to the charting founding principle, uh, prime directive of the Federation of yeah. non-interference of, 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 of alien worlds, especially. And what that really means is they don't get involved with alien species before they're warp capable because they don't want to mess up their, you know, their normal evolutionary process of their society. So I thought that was a good episode. Um, nice. Lots and lots of stuff in season four. Season five just continues to deliver amazing episodes week in and week out from the next generation. Chris, are, are, are there a few that stand out in your mind? There, there's one in particular I really want to talk about, um, but I'll, I'll wait on that one. So what are there some that really stand out in your mind from season five now? Yeah, it's another, it's another a Picard centric one. I've got a theme here going, but, but it's called, it's actually called the perfect mate. And it has, I think it's, I'm trying to remember her name, Femke. I think that's her first name. She's an actress and she was in GoldenEye. And she plays the part of a, a metamorph. She called like a metamorph. And uh, Captain Picard and the Enterprise, they're helping to negotiate a treaty between uh, two related races. And one of them as a gift as a gift to the other race, they're gifting what's called a metamorph. So a metamorph is a, 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 a female and, you know, it's like a perfect, perfect mate for whoever, whoever's being given her. And they bring her out of stasis too early. And then she starts interacting with, with uh, different uh, people in the crew. And it's kind of funny to see her interact with Riker. She interacts with Worf. She interacts with, with, with all others and she's partially empathic so she can 
kind of understand and feel the the personality, the characteristics, the desires, and the will of different men. Um, and, and you kind of see how she does that uh, with the different uh, men she's around. And you have um, Picard kind of guiding her through this process, getting her ready. And you have um, like uh, these other kind of interesting questions that Dr. Crusher poses of like, well, you know, Captain, you know, how can you accept that, you know, that this is a woman and her, her whole purpose for being is that she's can be the mate for this, this, this man she's being given to. Um, and is that right? Or is that wrong? And, you know, it's interesting. Picard is like, well, that's, that's unfortunately, that's not his place. That's not his place to say, but throughout the episode, the metamorph and Picard, um, develop a relationship, get to know each other. And Picard's, you know, trying to resist her as, as much as, as much as possible. And you realize at the end that, um, she has bonded with them because of, you know, Picard's character, essentially, you know, she really respects and loves his character, his, his education, his force of will. And Picard is the one that has to give her away. And I think he kind of falls in love with her, but he has to give her away to the, to the person that she's meant to go with um, and that other species. So the perfect mate, it's kind of a, you know, a standalone episode in itself, um, but pretty much Picard centric, you know, because this is a, a romantic interest for him. And he's kind of, you know, kind of has to deal with the repercussions at the end, at the end, knowing that she has mentally bonded with him, uh, but can never be with him. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, and, you know, Femke Jansen, I believe, is the female. The, yes, the actress. Yeah. yeah. Now, she is the 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 main Bond girl in the greatest James Bond movie of all time, Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely great there. It was great to have <laughs> see her make an appearance in the Star Trek universe. You yeah. know, th there were so many good episodes, Chris, and we could spend hours on just one of these episodes in yeah. season five. but. You know, there were so many that stood out to me. I, was, I had a really hard time narrowing down just a few to talk about. But I think of episodes like Silicon Avatar, which I believe was the second appearance of the Crystalline Entity. I can't remember. You know, that bit, kind of a kind of a goofy, honest, kind of a goofy uh, bad guy alien thing that just floating around in space. It looks like this big, like, weird snowflake-looking crystal thing that attacks mm -hmm. planets and kills people and just destroys the whole world. But... Uh, you know, it's it, it that the crystalline entity is is brought up a lot in the Trekkie world. I, I can't remember if this is the second time we hear about the crystalline entity. I think it is, but I don't, I don't remember for sure. Um, so there's that one, uh, and, and you get Data working with this 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 uh, female um, scientist, and her whole life is spent trying to figure out a way to communicate and destroy this crystalline entity and so forth. I think it kills her son. Um, oh, yeah. I think if I remember correctly off the top of my head, uh, I didn't write it down. Um, so that's a pretty good episode. A matter of time is just a fan. One of my favorite episodes as well. Uh, you get Matt Frewer, who is the next door neighbor in uh, honey. I shrunk the kids and a bunch of other stuff. And he plays this time traveler who is supposedly from the future. And he's come back in time to study some event that the enterprise is about to go through. And, over a series of events, they find that they discover that he is not from the future. He's actually from the past. And another time traveler from the future came back to his time 
he kills the time traveler, takes his time machine, goes forward in time, starts secretly stealing stuff like tricorders and phasers and all stuff like that off the Enterprise because he's going to take it back with him and invent them in his time and become a billionaire. It's a really good episode. It, it's just a unique kind of fun, uh, good episode that I really enjoy. If you haven't watched that one in a while, Chris, I'd, I'd recommend going back and watching a matter of time. Very good with some twists and turns in it. Nice. Um, an episode called the game, which is a little bit strange, but I kind of like it. And Riker goes on shore leave and gets hooked on this game that you stick on your, over your, on your head when it, kind of goes in front of the eyes and you play it with your eyes somehow. And it becomes this like super addiction because it gives people this like endorphin rush feeling when you complete a level. And so it's highly addictive. He brings it back to the crew. It starts getting passed on the crew. Everybody gets addicted except for Wesley Crusher <laughs> and Ensign Leffler, who is played by none other than a very young Ashley Judd. Um, oh, yeah, in this episode. And so they're the only two that haven't played the game and they're running around trying to figure out a way to keep the entire crew from not being addicted because they're these bad guys who want to come on and take over the Enterprise uh, because these people, the, the crew would be addicted to this game and then easily influenced to do what they say. And it, it's a good episode. I, I like the episode. It's a little weird, but yeah, I like that one. The Masterpiece Society, I think, is a fantastic episode because you have this, uh, this uh, group of humans living on this planet that is inhospitable in this dome that's the only thing protecting them from the outside. And the Enterprise beams down and come to find out it's this perfect society, small group of people. But the reason why it's a perfect society is because everybody there is genetically engineered and born to be a certain type of person, an artist, a scientist, a leader, uh, whatever. Um, they are genetically engineered to with a predisposition towards a certain type of thing they don't want to be anything else than what they're created to be and so it's a very big conundrum but, but at the same time they don't have a lot of the same issues like blindness like Jordy and everything else because that's all been weeded out supposedly in in the genetics and yeah. it's a it's a massive moral conundrum of by doing that are you actually taking away you know, babies and people who would actually have been contributing members of society because in that society, Jordy never would have been born. That's right. So it's a very big moral question and, and a really good episode uh, that's um, one that makes you think a lot. Uh, I like the episode Cause and Effect. You get the, 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 the looping time loop over and over and over again when they keep running into the ship. It causes this, the Enterprise to end up blowing up. And at the very end, you get to meet Captain Morgan Bateman, who we saw at yes. the convention, played by none other than Dr. Fraser Crane himself, Kelsey Grammer. Great episode. Absolutely. I mean, one of the episodes that I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends who are Trek fans, mention as one of their favorites from TNG. Um, we got I, Borg, who is the famous episode with Hugh the Borg, played by Jonathan Del Arco, who also reappears in Star Trek Picard. Um and the moral conundrum there of they have the opportunity to use Hugh as basically a, a messenger to deliver this catastrophic virus that would kill the Borg collective. And they decide not to do that because they grow attached to Hugh, who's become an individual on his own. And honestly, had they done that, Hugh might not have been available for a Star Trek Picard and hit the role he played in that, in that show, which you'll, you'll see later on when you watch it. You know that, yeah, that's perfect that you said that. That's really interesting. It's this, 
yeah, you're right. You they explore that moral question in the episode, and and then that has an effect. What twenty years later? Oh yeah, because now he can come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big effect for sure. Um, And I won't give anything away with the cards since you haven't watched it yet. But uh, uh, you know, Jonathan Delarco's character Hugh plays a a big a big role early on in that show and and the importance of 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 his role and what he does in the show so um we also have times arrow part one and part two which is a great time travel episode where you find out these aliens are running around uh i think it's early 1900s in san francisco maybe and you meet uh, you meet uh an uh a, a uh aspiring author Samuel Clemens. Oh, Mark Twain. Mark in Twain one. in it. Yes, it's a bit of a hokey episode, but but the aliens yeah. they don't know right away are stealing, they're sucking energy out of the people around the. I think it's San Francisco, and they find Data's head buried, and then they <laughs> they go back in time to figure out how they find Data's head buried deep underneath San Francisco. It's a very puzzling episode as far as the the ramifications of time travel and everything else. It's really good a must watch for for you trekkies and and fans out there the one i really want to spend the most time on is an episode yeah. that it, it happens in season five and it's generally regarded as the greatest episode in next generation it's not my favorite but i i definitely um have a lot of respect for the episode i do think it's in the top five for sure but uh, it's the episode called The Inner Light. And The Inner Light is an episode where Captain Picard is zapped by this alien probe. And in his mind, he lives out an entire life of this, this, this race of, uh, of, of uh, people who are now gone because their son went supernova and killed everybody. And, and the way that they carried on their race was through this probe going around and zapping people, I guess, and giving them all these memories. And so Picard has an entire lifetime. He he's, he's born, he lives, he grows up, he gets married, he has children, grandchildren, he gets old, he dies all in the matter of, of minutes, but it's all in his, in his mind, it's an entire lifetime. Yes. And during that lifetime, he learns to play a flute, the Resican flute, which by the way, sold at auction back in 2006 for like some absurd amount of money. It's not a real flute. It doesn't actually play, but this flute becomes so precious to him. He, he learns this song. And so the flute is delivered to him after he's awakens from this, this, this state. And it's so important to him. And he still knows how to play the song. It's a very emotional, very moving episode. Again, based around Picard um, that you see as he lives this life, uh, with these people around him and it, it it's an episode where the first time you see it, it will probably bring you to tears. Yeah. It's so moving. It's so powerful. It's so incredible. It, there's an absolute reason why so many Star Trek fans regard the inner light as perhaps the greatest episode of the next generation. It's not an action packed episode. It's not a battling the Borg and battles with the Klingons and the Romulans and all those other episodes. But it's an episode that just really grabs you. It really pulls you in and it really tugs at the heart. If you have not watched The Inner Light ever, or if you have not watched The Inner Light in a long time, it's, a, it's one you should go back and watch, but have a box of Kleenex near 
because it really is a, 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 a bit of a tearjerker. And it makes you kind of think about your own life and how fast life passes. And we're, we're really only here for a blink of an eye, right? You snap your fingers and, and life's over. Um, and how fast life goes. And it teaches you to enjoy the precious moments. There is actually a, a line in, mem- in um, the inner light. And I have to pull it up because I think it's that important um, that, that data, that data, that, uh, (laughs) Picard talks about in the episode. Um, and the inner light is actually the second to last episode of season, um, five. And there is a line that he says in it. Um, and I, I really want to pull it up because it's so important. Yeah. Um, and I've actually quoted it before, um, on social media because I think it's, it's so good. Um, and it's basically, it's right towards the very end of his life in his mind, you know, of this life he's living as an, in, in his old life. And he says it to his son, uh, or sorry, to his daughter, Maribor, I think is, is her name. And I'm quoting this off of memory alpha. He says, seize the time, Maribor, live now, make now always the most precious time. Now will never come again. This episode was so well written and there's so many good lines in this episode, but I mean, think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, seize the time, live now, make now always the most precious time. Now will never come again. And it makes you realize how important it is to live in the moment because as our, in our society now, we're such a fast-paced society. We're always thinking about the future and what's next and tomorrow and the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. And it can be so easy to not stop and enjoy the moment you're in. I, I find myself never doing that. And I got to stop because one day my kids are going to be growing up and out of the house and I'm going to be old just like in this episode. And it makes me pause and think, man. In a matter of time, in a matter of a snap of a finger, I'm going to be in the situation where I'm old of looking back going, did I really enjoy the moments that I actually had? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's another great line he also says when he becomes a father to his kids, he says this. He says, I always believed I didn't need children to complete my life. Now I couldn't imagine life without them. Yeah. There's just so many good episodes. Um, and at the very end of it, his, his wife in, in this, this life he's living in his mind tells him as he discovers w- what has happened to him, you know, as he's discovering, hey, I, I was actually on the Enterprise and now I've discovered why I've, I've gone through this life. His wife tells him, now we live in you. Tell them of us, my darling. Basically, the alien race is, 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 is banking on the uh, fact that, the, that, that whoever they encounter, that will, they will live this life, they'll experience their culture and this alien race, and that those, that person will go and tell everybody about them so that their race, even though they're all dead, will never actually be dead. They'll live on through the memories and the stories and the experiences of the people that live this life for them. It's just, I mean, Chris, I, I, I really don't know if there's many more episodes of, of Star Trek at, across any series that are more powerful than the inner light. Some actually think that it's the greatest episode of Star Trek of all time, regardless of series. It's, it's, it's just that powerful. I mean, I know you've seen the episode. What are yeah. your thoughts on the inner light? And this, I, I kind of wanted to spend a little, a couple extra minutes in this episode, because I really do think it's that important. Oh, you're right. This is pure 
when I think about the episode, it's just pure goodness in it. It's just all there's there's no um, ill will in in the episode. There's no um, like antagonists. It's just pure goodness. And you know Picard as a person, right? He's he's always been uncomfortable with children. Um, and he says that I think in the very first the pilot episode, or or an early episode where he says, you know, I don't know how to behave with children. I'm uncomfortable with them. And you see, I'm I'm glad you brought up children, Zach. You know, you see Picard evolve in the episode to like make make making a nursery uh, for his for his wife for the up up upcoming child. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you so you see him change, and you're right about seizing the seizing the moment because he starts uh, slowing down and then appreciating the people around him and the friendships that he has. Because I think at the beginning of the episode, um, he's still trying to, you know, he remembers he's the captain. He's still trying to find his way out of the situation. Um. And and you see him you see him slow down through the episode and just start to appreciate the relationships that that life has and appreciate the idea of uh, family and um, perpetuating you know his his lineage with with family. I yeah, think, yeah, That's true. Yeah, and it's um. You brought up a beautiful point. So you're right. The the alien race that was extinct was now relying on the goodness of others to tell um, the universe and tell the world about who they were. Um, and, and, you know, to, to live on in the memories, right? Like just like like we remember the ones our loved ones that have passed um that's pretty yeah it's it's beautiful it's a it's an incredibly beautiful episode it's it's i think you're gonna find hard pressed to find an episode maybe the episode far beyond the stars in in ds9 where they have they're 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 back in like the 1940s or 50s and you have they're all right you know and you have benny and all we'll talk about that episode when we get to ds9 that's a tough episode to talk about because it's so profound and um, really deals with a lot of, of issues with racism and other things that are happening in, in our yes. country and that did happen in our country in the past. But uh, Inner Light is really hard to surpass as far as the profound effect it has and, and the, the level to which it digs down. You know, it's, people don't, a lot of people don't know this. So the actor who played the son of Picard's character in this life he's living was actually his son in real life. Oh, I did not know that. So Daniel all. Stewart plays his son in the inner light during this life he's living. That's his son in real life. That's even more meaningful. It is. Yeah. I can imagine how even more profound that would be for Patrick Stewart to be playing that episode with his son. Um, and you know, uh, this episode really affects Picard so deeply to the, to his core, you see it later on in an episode called Lessons, where Picard starts to fall in love with this uh, this um, woman who comes on board, 
and uh, the scientist or sci- science officer um, and they start getting together to play music and the music he plays comes from his resican flute yes and she asked him about the flute and you can see how dear it is to him and how tightly he holds that because those memories are so profound to him i mean you think about that chris imagine being flashing away to this new life and you don't know where you how you got there and all of a sudden you're there and you're living a full life in your mind it's only a matter of minutes in real life and you wake up and all the memories and the 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 fam everything feels i mean everything felt literally like it actually happened like it was so real to you and you have to wake up and now and now you're back in your normal life i mean think about how profoundly that would affect you and how sh- deep that would shake you to your core mm-hmm. transformed Tra- sure. yeah it would transform you and it transforms picard and it's such an important episode in his development and who he is and the show itself uh it's just we could spend like I said, we could spend an entire episode or, or, or more just on the inner light. And maybe, who knows, maybe one day we will. Maybe one day we'll go through and dissect the episode and really dig down deep and talk about it some more. Yeah. Because it is so profound. Um, it's such an important part of Trek. But, uh, you know, not to necessarily end on a downer note. It's not <laughs> a downer. But, uh, you know, we just talked about a, a lot of amazing Star Trek episodes. Some... Uh, uh, some of these episodes we talked about uh, in this episode uh, of our podcast really are some of the most popular, most talked about, most um, important episodes in all of the Star Trek franchise. And um, I, I think there there's still more, even more to come when we do yeah. our part, you know, third and final part to our look at the next generation. We talk about season six and seven um, and whether or not maybe did TNG have the, the, the best show finale of all time and all good things or did ds9 or did voyager or who what show had the best ending of all of them maybe it was tng maybe it wasn't we'll talk about that in our next episode chris on our part three look at star trek the next generation but um a lot of great stuff to talk about here look forward to talking with you some more uh, next time on uh, our part three look uh in in this episode um but yeah tng uh, really set the tone for the rest of, of uh, the Star Trek franchise going forward. Yeah, absolutely did. Is TNG is such a, a wonderful series. We obviously we love it. We love talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we we really do. And uh, it's going to be hard for me when we get to DS Nine talking about that because <laughs> that's that's number that's number one A for me. One B is is TNG. And uh, man, uh, it's I, I'm going to be able to go on for four seasons worth of our podcast just talking about D space nine, but I'll spare all you spare you all that. <laughs> so anyways, um, yep. Thanks as always for listening guys. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at the random red shirt podcast. Be sure to hit up our discord page at the random red shirt podcast. Uh, be sh- uh, whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether it's Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, your web browser, anchor.fm Castbox, any of those platforms, be sure to give us a, a thumbs up, a follow, a rating, a comment, whatever you prefer. Let us know what you think of the podcast because we really do appreciate your feedback. We appreciate you listening in all 10 to 15 countries out there that are listening on every major continent but Antarctica. The Random Red Shirt podcast has been present. And uh, this has been great, Chris. Look forward to uh, jumping back on here after a while with you and talking about part three in season six and seven of Star Trek The Next Generation. Me too. Yeah, this has been great. We love it. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks so much for listening, guys. And we will see you next time 
on the Random Redshirt Podcast. Take care.